Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Ron, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm so psyched to have you here. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, everybody. It's literally with me, your host, Rob Lowe. Um, today, we have one of the titans of uh, of acting, mostly known for huge TV characters. He's got more Emmys, I think, than almost anybody who ever lived. Uh, he's played his seminal character, Frasier, for literally he's been playing Frasier since 1986. And uh, apparently Frasier is coming back. Um, but he's also a, an insane Shakespearean actor and can do drama, can do it all. Um, he's going to talk about some of his new stuff. But I'm excited to talk about acting with one of my heroes, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey, I know you're a Renaissance man, but you've got a beer coming out. This sounds insane, both insane and amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's the fulfillment of what has been a, a dream I've nursed over the past decade or two. And uh, it finally came to fruition. And the beer is good. I'm really excited about that. And uh, we've got some some news on that front. What's it called? Uh, Faith American. Yeah, it's, it's not that subtle, is it? I love it, though. But uh, I believe in America. I always have. And I believe we're going to be okay. And the beer reflects the idea that some of our greatest moments are sitting down together with family having a beer. And so that's, that's an extension of that. And your beer is named after your daughter. I, I think that's great. I have very early memories of running around the Paramount lot when I was a young actor. Oh. And oh. you guys were making Cheers. Yeah, right, right. And do you remember the casting director, Bobby Hoffman? I do, yes. 
because like he was the king of the Paramount lot because of the Gary Marshall <laughs> kingdom and like right yeah right of course yeah yeah like Gary Marshall ran the Paramount lot yes he did for quite some time for yeah. quite some time and and Bobby Hoffman cast all his stuff and uh, I was always auditioning and it was not to be entertainment usually has that kind of a series of casualties that, that just fall by the wayside because then they are like popular I mean I I produced a show several several years ago when Emerald was really popular. Yep. And uh, I got a call from Jeff Zucker at the time who just said, listen, we love your show, but um, this Emerald guy is scoring like through the roof. So we're going to, we're going to put him on the air and not your show. <laughs> so, Man. Just the way it goes, you know, and uh, that show was gone in a year, which was, you know, too bad. Um, but that often happens, you know, that, People have confidence in a, in a current development slate that uh, seems right at the time. And then, of course, most of it sort of, you know, filters through and you find out that 70% of it just doesn't last for a year. So, yeah. and, and nobody really trusts their gut because they could get fired. If you have, if you yeah. have data, date, however dubious the data is. Like there's a lot of checked boxes there that could have worked, but you know, who knows? Yeah, I read a great quote from somebody that said it just didn't fit with our audience. I said, yeah, the audience, audience doesn't like great people. <laughs> well, and and you know, and that's the other thing. Um, on this podcast over the over the times I've talked to so many people, I because if you if you you're around as long as you are, around as long as I am, you you have a very gimlet eyed sort of yeah. take on on what it is and what it isn't. And, you know, there are the amazing moments of it. And then there are the not so amazing moments of it. And this for me was like, I'm always still paying attention, but on the other side of it, as you know, it means that some other door is opening. This is where you're really meant to be. Things are, uh, things are fantastic. So, I mean, you know, that's, just, yeah. We're okay. And you know, and you move on. I mean, listen, you, you always have great, great things going on. I mean, you have a, a show on now that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little about about charming the hearts of men. Which, by the way, is, I love that title. So, is you know sometimes a title like you go yeah, and other titles you go. There's something about that I go. I like that title. What is this? It's an interesting thing. You know, it's about the man who was um, responsible for inserting the word sex into the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Now, very few people know that that bill was originally written. Uh, you know, as spearheaded by Dr. Martin Luther King and by, by the movement to bring uh, equality into the country and and uh, basically pass control of a lot of power that was, you know, being thrown around in, in uh, Washington, D.C., um, to pass it along to other people. And uh, this one guy finally said, if we pass this bill as written, it doesn't include women. Wow. And that's why he inserted the word sex. You cannot discriminate based upon race, color, creed, or sex. And it was before it had nothing to do with women. And wow. he's, he's the one guy that made it change. He lives in complete obscurity now um, because he was a Southern Democrat, Dixocrat, basically, um, who is, you know, tarred with the same brush as, you know, any number of guys from that era. But uh, he took a really courageous stance. So there's one moment in the film where uh, a young woman says to him, uh, you'll be a hero. And he says, I'll be laughed at. Mm. In a lot of ways, uh, he was right. But uh, they passed it with the word sex in it. And that was the beginning of equality for everybody. 
What a great story. I can't it's wait. It's a great story. It is a great story and it's a charming movie and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, worth, it's worth its time. Gregory Peck, I heard him say once, he said, I always wanted people to think that if they spent time watching my work, they considered it time well spent. And I've always embraced that same phrase. This movie, Charming Hearts of Men, is time well spent. Awesome. Um, Frazier's going to come back to... Uh, well, that's a whole other thing. Paramount Plus. Um, the game is coming back. We're um, on to the, like, the fifth script of that, and I think we'll start shooting in about three weeks, wow. in Atlanta, which is cool. So, I mean, there, there is some stuff that's going on. Um, I've got a couple of films out which have done fairly well um they're, and they're still they're still sort of going we've got a, a new slate or two coming up still so i mean that's been that's been rewarding i mean i've been I've shot six films this the last couple of years so it's been good i loved you in the 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 movie you did with de niro oh some time ago yeah no, I was yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a while ago but you were great yeah. in that, that oh was- thanks man Oh, it was great work with him. I was blown away by that movie because, I mean, you know, they end up killing him. I mean, I thought, oh, my God, it's Robert De Niro. They're killing him. Holy crap. <laughs> oh, so good in that. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, everybody, who didn't love Frasier? I want to do a show like that. I want to do a literate play. It's a play. It was a comedy yeah. play every yeah. week. It yeah. was a celebration of language, and it was super precise and great wordsmiths and actors who could handle language and and i just don't know why there isn't more i have a theory of why there isn't more of it but i wonder uh, if you if you do too well it's not as easily done as people would think it was um language is interesting though i i do believe that if you come from a mentality of playing up to your audience and that's the word that's the place we came from the audience will respond the audience will find it i mean uh, our our demographic i guess cuts across all cultural uh definitions i mean it is uh it is really really popular in any number of different uh um what you'd identify as certain viewing classes i suppose but uh we just play up to the audience and you find in time that people are smarter than you thought they were and and they, they always respond to that and in terms of what's the universal value of you know it's a couple of brothers who have been crazy throughout the years they had a, a great relation with their dad that was tortured, but they also discovered how much they loved each other. These are universal values that, that transcend any kind of other boundaries. And so I think that's the key. And then you got to make sure that you're just uh, honest about it every week. You know, you make sure you're, you're telling the truth, the truth that you know. And uh, that truth will relate to almost everybody if it's, if it's good. It's one of those things that's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. Well, it's definitely not easy to do, but. I, th- I think uh, you get a group of good people together and they, they can make it sing. And that's, that's, that's the trick. I also think it would be so rewarding, but I also find, look, it's not easy to do, but I also think that for whatever reason, writers who have that ability in this moment in time, aren't writing in that genre. And by, by that, I mean the multi-camera Right, yeah. Well, Multicam does has suffered a bit of a, you know, um, a, a depopulation. I guess. Uh, I, I think it's poised for a pretty good comeback, but they're going to need to do it better. I mean, because Same. I mean, honestly, a lot of kids, you know, a lot of kids, oh, maybe, you know, between fifteen and twenty-five now, basically just got raised on multicams that were done by Disney. 
And, uh, you know, I'm not saying anything wrong about Disney, but those particular shows were pretty formulaic and the punchlines were pretty predictable and they were pretty much in a cadence that was one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And uh, so there was no real reliance on the audience for those. There was no real engagement with the audience. It was just sort of a presumption that, oh, they'll watch this amount of audience as long as we make a big enough, silly enough uh, gesture to, as a punchline. Um, the audience will uh, do what we expect them to do. Unfortunately, the audience did do what an audience should do. They tuned out. So we need to just go back to the, uh, the drawing room a little bit um, and and, uh, and get it uh, get it crafted the right way again. Human, funny, intelligent, and uh, you know, thorough. A more thorough examination of the human experience in any situation merits more attention. That's my theory. That was prestige television. That was prestige comedy. Comedy is always very, it's weird. I feel like comedy is almost snobbier than drama in a weird way. And right. And, and so the net, a network multicam show, there was a time when that was prestige television. It's almost impossible to imagine today. Now it's yeah, like, you right. know, it's like Bo Burnham locks himself in a closet with a camera and that's as, that's as hip and cool and cutting edge as anybody can possibly imagine. And it is, but yes. there was a time when you could do a multi-camera wide audience for everybody yeah. and it had all the patina of the intellectual class that anybody could hope to have. And right. I just don't understand why we can't have that again. I, I, I believe we can. Listen, I'm, I'm, listen, I love America. I love, I love American programming. I love all the things we're going through as a country, because you know what? In the end, we're still together. We're still one country. We're still one group of people who all really pretty much aspire to the same things, which is just excellence, excellence, okay. success, prosperity. Nobody, nobody's looking for reliance on the government. Nobody's looking for um, um, handouts. Nobody really wants that. People want to get through things and make sure they do it with freedom, with their, with their, you know, um, with their dreams intact. I mean, it's not it's somebody else to dictate their dreams to them. They need to actually to go ahead and do the fight for themselves and be allowed the playground. That's what we need to do. And that's what we're going to do. <laughs> Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day? Or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky. Same day. Or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment. There's only one answer. California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. Look, I love California. Um, And I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. 
They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. Shopping for humans is hard. Shopping for your dog is easy. Thanks to Bark. Every month, we deliver toys and treats just for your pup. They deserve to be spoiled every month. At Bark, we send your dog a whole collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month. Whether it's our fun plush toys or our ultra-tough toys from Super Chewer, we give your dog exactly what they want. And for a limited time, we will double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com Rob. BarkBox is so convenient and delivers straight to your door and more importantly, right to your dog. I can't wait to try out BarkBox. My dogs need their toys, particularly the chewable toys. Sign up now at BarkBox.com Rob for an exclusive offer. This ad is now over. Let's get back to petting our dogs. I have an acting question for you. Okay. Because you alluded to it earlier. The there, <laughs> and I don't want to beat up on Disney either. But they're like, I will watch some. Like I watched Hannah Montana, mm-hmm. and is it? It's like American teenage Kabuki meets vaudevillian. Borscht. Yeah, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of slapstick, isn't there? Pantomime. I don't know what's what's happening. But is there is there a multi camera style? Well, there's a shooting style that I think is a great style. I mean, you get to do two takes and you get eight eight shots at the same time. I mean, it's right. fantastic. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for a more um, luxurious way to put something together in terms of the viewer and director's eye. Um, you can get as much depth as you want. You just have to aim for it. That's what you have, your intention has to be. You're going to get some drama and some comedy and some uh, relatability and uh, and some entertainment value. Um, the thing that you're saying about the Hannah Montana thing, for instance, I mean, yeah, I never actually did see that show, but uh, it, it sort of fell in the cracks in terms of my set of shit kids. Yeah. You know, about three sets, sort of. Yeah. Um, I, I think what's happened is they make a, a presumption about what a team is interested in, and they need to connect it to selling things. And uh, you end up with uh, a, a kind of shrill, uh, attention-getting series of uh, slapstick moments. I mean, it is sort of slapsticky. There is that at least, but the, but it doesn't have the doesn't have the same content. Right? You know that no, other have. sort of the thing that sneaks in underneath. That's right, and, and gets you, and you go, oh yeah, no, I get it. 
uh, that's playing out to the audience. Um, even as silly as that is. <laughs> it's very funny. But okay, it's I guess what I'm saying is like there is a difference, I think, that you can't you can't deliver the same performance in a close up in a movie of the same moment if you're doing it on Broadway. You because right. it won't read. The audience won't see it. I'll be way too big on the camera. Right. So I guess what I'm asking is there is that though the same in a if you're making a, a, a comedy like New Girl, or yeah. you're making a comedy like um, a single camera comedy versus the multi camera comedy, is it the same thing? Can you act the same way oh, in, on Frasier that you can in a? Do you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? I'm not being no, as articulate I, I, as I would like to be, but you know but what I mean. Well, for instance, Jimmy Stewart was always capable of being quite large on camera. You know, emotional and funny. He really, he was really big. And uh, but always believable. And I, I, that's probably the difference. You know, I mean, some people know how to make that believable. Some people don't. Mm. You know, that's when you're that's when casting, once again, yeah. becomes the, uh, the chief issue. <laughs> that's that's um, so fast. It makes it so simple. It just it's not about anything other than maybe maybe it's a smidge bigger or it can be as big as you want, as long as it's equal. As long as they trust you, as long as they, as long as they believe in you, as long as they believe in you. I mean, I think of, um, I think of Kramer on Seinfeld coming in and out of doors. Right, it's about as big as it gets. He was as big as any human being has ever been on camera. On, t- on, on anywhere. camera, yeah, right. Anywhere, <laughs> it was yes, it was not containable. Right, but, but yeah, you, there are certain obligations you have in terms of theater when you're performing live on a stage in front of two thousand people. You have to get to the back row. Yeah, and so to. there is a kind of largeness about the performance i guess um but you still want it still has to seem true and that's a, that's a that's a really fine kind of subtle balancing act that people do we're really good at it i mean you gotta get good at it i mean that's the real thing um shakespeare for instance is, is indecipherable for most people uh, until somebody good at it starts to make it sound like real language to you and you suddenly go wow whoa 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 this i didn't know good that i had no idea a person could say things like that and then you realize why it is funny important. when you see somebody great do it and you've done a ton of it. I, and I want to talk to you about that a little bit. But when you, I mean, for me, it was when I saw Ian McKellen. Oh, I mean, it sounds absolutely natural. It sounds just like regular old language, like somebody just talking, just talking. He's not yeah. doing anything fancy. He's not doing Shakespeare in quotation sure. marks. It's yes. just a man telling a story, yeah. being relatable. I saw him in Richard the third, which blew my mind. And then I oh, saw him in, yes. in, Ian McKellen acting Shakespeare, which was a one-man show where he just did. Oh, this is that was fairly recent, right? Well, the version, the iteration I saw was was actually a long time ago. Uh, he did something, uh, he did something recently about it. He went on tour and did a whole thing for charity about two years ago. He did a great. I'm, I'm sure that's what it, he just revived. It was yeah. spectacular. Right, right. He's a lovely guy, he's, isn't he? Uh, oh, he's so the best. So just, just the best. But yeah. you know, it's it's the. There's technique to it, and then there's the emotional technique. It's just the difference of, you know, in a, in a close-up, you can look at somebody by shifting your eye to right. move your head at all. But if on stage, you better move that whole big head. Yeah, well, yeah, to go back to the film uh, reference you're making, yeah, I mean, you go much smaller. I mean, honestly, it's almost painful for a theater actor at first to try to get small enough for a camera. You know, you get like, because <sighs> you don't want to appear too big, but you realize, oh, my God, I'm so used to just, Moving my eyebrows is almost too much. 
I did a play in the the West End for a while. It was a few good men, and it was it's a great play, and it's oh yeah, I think I was around when you were doing that. It was so fun, but sometimes yeah. you would do line runs with the cast just to say sharp. You know, they come to the dressing right. room before, and it was literally just a line run. That's it, just blow through yeah. the lines as quick as we can, just yeah. to make sure we're sharp. And you're sitting in a little semicircle, and it, you're and you're talking like this. You're talking just you're just doing the lines, and you're like, oh my god, I'd love to do the play like this. So good, <laughs> I would love to not have to project to the back of the hey market theater it would be interesting to actually do that on the sort of a you know sort of interface with the production the actual production maybe do a, a um a documentary about it i did um work with christopher walken on 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 stage and he basically did do that during his performance he um, christopher walken's a pretty courageous guy <laughs> he does not give as they say any fucks no i know it's amazing uh what 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 part did you do with him i mean he I saw him on stage in... Uh, Did you see him in Coriolanus? That's the famous one. No, I didn't see that. And then um, in The Tempest, I saw him with... Um, oh, who was the other one? Carol Kane was in it, and... Uh, Ooh. It was some time ago. That's a good group. It um, was a good group. It was a, you know, it was a fairly good production. There, It just had a, a few challenges. So are, are you familiar with the Williamstown Theater Festival? Yes, I am. Yeah. So this was at the Williamstown Theater Festival. Oh, cool! And, and it was, uh, it, and it was, um, uh, three sisters. Oh. And uh, it was uh, Chris Walken, mm-hmm. John Hurd. Oh, that's a good group. Yeah, I knew John. I did a Macbeth with his sister Cordis. Cordis Hurd. It's a good group. But Chris would come on stage and turn his back to the audience routinely, <laughs> and 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 talk quieter than i'm talking to you yeah, in a theater it. of a thousand people and people would start screaming we can't hear what speak yeah, up we yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like literally the audience would scream at him uh-huh well and, that would be an interesting thing to see <laughs> and he would come off stage he goes, and he'd be like that was so exciting the audience was yelling like a ball game and i'd be like <laughs> chris they were yelling because they couldn't hear you i wanted to see your performance <laughs> It was, um, and, and so this is, I think you'll appreciate this. So he had a moment in the show that I would come to the wings every night to watch. And the moment was, you know, uh, the, um, the village is burning down, town's burning down and we're all up in the attic and someone comes in to report about what's been going on in the village. And Chris had the line, how's the fire? And I don't know what it was about it, but it made me laugh out loud every, every single night. And I never really understood it until one day I picked up a script thinking it was mine to do some studying. And it was, it was Chris's and it was open to that scene. And in his script on that line, he had crossed out, how's the fire and written in, how's the barbecue. <laughs> And that's exactly what he did every night. It was, he, he was like, how's the barbecue? That's, that was the, great. that's basically what he was saying. I'm of the school that believes that William Shakespeare would have consistently changed his language. Would have always said, oh, that's funnier. Yeah, say barbecue. You know, in the context of knowing what a barbecue is today, no one probably knew what a barbecue was mm-hmm. in Shakespeare's day. But that's actually a funnier line because that has irony in it, and uh, kind of it has a sense that he doesn't give a fly on you know what. Yep. yep and, right. Uh, 
It's, it's loaded with subtext. It's a very, very good rewrite. I'm sure Shakespeare would have embraced it. Yet would Chekhov have embraced it is the question. Chekhov might have been a little bit, a little bit more of a stickler, but Chekhov was a bit more of a behaviorist. You know, and he, he, uh, I, I went to school with a guy that, uh, whose wife was actually a favorite of Chekhov's. Mm. And um, so he told me that in, in rehearsal, Chekhov once said, oh, Astroff whistles. And he said that's, that's an indication that he's a happy person. Hmm. So that's different. Shakespeare, you don't have to guess with Shakespeare. He tells you who they are. I mean, there is nothing left for you to think up if you read the words that Shakespeare wrote about a character. There's actually, you are not, you need not abandon yourself to like, oh, what's he really feeling? No, his, the subtext is written in gr- beautiful language. That's yeah, an amazing, an amazing gift. What is your favorite Shakespearean production you have were involved with? Othello? My favorite one that I, well, Othello was certainly popular. And that was fun because I did that for a year and I was on Broadway. And, you know, I mean, it was all the things, the bells and whistles, you know, you, you dream of as a, as a young man. Uh, and so I did get to kind of live that with Christopher Plummer and James Earl Jones. Oh. I played Cassio and uh, we had a sort of a string of different Desdemonas, but uh, they were all lovely. I mean, Karen Dotrice was one. Um, Diane Weist was another. Mm-hmm. Uh, just some wonderful people. Oh, a girl, a girl named Shannon John, who was just terrific, who ended up dying. It's just a tragic death. Um, but, you know, a great production is, is for, it's always great. You'll always remember it as something that was a highlight of your life. And that was certainly one. I've done some comedies that were pretty good. As You Like It was good. Uh, Midsummer Night Stream, I was in a couple of those that were great. I did, I did one at school, actually, with Robin Williams. It was hysterical. Oh, he was just amazing. Uh, I did a couple of Macbeths and... Uh, Enjoyed both of those. Well, no, I've done three. <laughs> wow. But uh, I, I really, really enjoy that role. It's almost impossible to do, uh, you know, successfully, but it's only because there's so many people want to put an overlay on it once again, when I think you can just actually do it straight. Um, well, my kid's screaming for my wife. That's one of the princes from Macbeth going, don't do it. Yeah, it could be. Dad, no more. What was it like to audition for Juilliard? I assume you had to audition. Don't oh, yeah. Make the no, audition? It was great. Um, I flew from Fort Lauderdale, and um, this is where I'd been doing some plays in high school. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? I, I think well, I'm going to try to be an actor. So I, I got my audition for Juilliard set. I went up and I did Midsummer Night's Dream. I did the Nick Bottom from Midsummer Night's Dream, and I did um, my other piece was Willie Loman from Death of a Salesman. Wow. Yeah. No, I wasn't. You weren't fucking around. You were, you were. You were like, this is I it. Was serious. Yeah. No, no kidding. Serious. Howard, a man's not a piece of fruit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the audition ends. Uh, well, well, here's what happened. So I walk in, and where I was going to school, they said, if you're going to relax, you should loosen your belt, or you're going to just take it off, pull your T-shirt all out, and you know, just sort of relax, hang your head down, take a couple of deep breaths, take your shoes off. So this, this guy had said to me before the audition, he said, relax. I thought, okay. So I did all that. I took my shirt off. Pull my T-shirt out of my pants, took my belt off, and took my shoes off. And then they said, "Okay, we're ready for it." I thought, "Okay." So I walked down. So I'm the only kid that ever auditioned in bare feet, I think. But um, I did these two pieces, and there were there, there was a big thrust uh, theater. There was like a three stories of uh, seats around, and uh, there were little shadow spots where there were actual human beings watching mm-hmm. the audition. And finally, a voice came after the audition from John Houseman, 
Oh, boy. Uh, in shadow. No, Mr. Crandall. Uh, do you intend to make uh, acting your career? I said, uh, well, I, I flew up here from Fort Lauderdale, didn't I? <laughs> That's about it. And uh, then I said, uh, thank you. And I left. And then somebody came backstage to the, the locker room as I was putting my clothes back on. And uh, she said, oh, we had a question about your, uh, your application here. It says you don't really have any money. Yes. And I said, uh, I don't uh, at this point. Uh, and she said, uh, so you would want financial assistance? I said, I'm afraid I'd need it. Yes. Yes, I would. And she said, do you have any other questions? I said, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, how do I do it? And she said, well, it was a good audition. Mm. And I got it in. <laughs> so, it was pretty amazing. And then, yeah, then Robin came to class a, a, a couple of months into the first year. And he joined from another program somewhere. When uh, you met him, were you like, oh, this guy's special? Yeah. I mean, he was funny all the time. You know, he just was always funny. We had a pretty good relationship. We used to, Robin helped me carry my first couch off the garbage heap into my apartment. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that was my first piece of furniture. I sort of slept on it for a while. Didn't have a cushion. Just had, you know, the box. <laughs> but, That's so uh, good. So we had, we had a good, good beginning. It was a good beginning for creative people. It was wonderful. Yeah. I think it's so valuable. I'm always so envious of people who did that. We all have our paths, you know, I mean, you know, I don't need to tell you life, you know, you never know what life is going to, you know, um, but I just stumbled. I always wanted to do it from the time I was eight Uh and, you know, just grind it away, grind it away. And, and, you know, did whatever I had to do and work, but I always kind of worked. And so that I never had any time to, 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 to do that. Amazing. I work with so many Juilliard people over the year. When I was doing West Wing, uh, Brad Whitford is a Juilliard. Oh, guy. sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I know Brad. Yeah. And, and, and Bradley loves his Juilliard relaxing exercises. They used to make me laugh. They were so <laughs> fun. I mean, the stuff he would. The, they did I, a lot of funny stuff. Right? There's a whole, right? A whole actor thing. You know? <laughs> it's so good. I'm like, uh, damn, boy. You know, the only thing I ever let interrupt my podcast, my dog, take a minute now, please pet your dog while you learn about Bark, the company dedicated to making dogs happy every month. BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. Every toy is tailored to your pup's size and play style from squeaky plush toys from BarkBox ultra-tough, durable ones from Super Chewer. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Each box is inspired by a new theme and comes with fun surprises for you and your dog. For a limited time, they'll double your first box of goodies for free. I love making my dogs happy. Love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. And my dogs are obsessed with their chewable toys. BarkBox offers treats, keep my dogs healthy, and amazing new toys that keep my dogs entertained. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. Transform your bathroom cleaning with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner. 
You just spray today and rinse tomorrow for a no-scrub clean. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, this is your once-a-week solution to keeping your tub and shower surfaces sparkling clean. Available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. Join thousands who've switched to an easier clean. Get your wet and forget weekly shower cleaner today and make your bathroom sparkle with zero scrubbing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Rob Lowe. Okay, let's talk about for the Frasier reboot because it's so exciting. Frasier, you know, someone, I wrote an article recently where it sort of, it, it, it quoted me, but it, it misunderstood the message. I said, Frasier will end up being rich beyond his imagination. Um it's because of his emotional life that he'll be rich beyond his imagination. Right. Rich in love, rich in family, rich in, in experience is what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. He will have, he will be pretty comfortable financially because he'd had some success in Chicago, blah, blah, blah. That's the backstory. But um, his wealth has to do with his experience and the love that he has been given throughout his lifetime. Uh, when he least expected it, a series of challenges always ended up being the best experience for him. And so that's, that's what we are repeating in terms of Frazier. And uh, we, we are pretty, I'm pretty happy about how we're going about it. So that's as much as I can really comfortably say. At this yeah, point. no. And, and I appreciate you even telling me, cause it's that uh, so many eyes will be on this. So yeah. so many people want to know what it is, isn't spoiler alerts and all that, that kind of uh, stuff. I, when you, um, what's amazing to hear, I don't know why it makes me so happy to hear you talk about the character with, with such love and affection uh, yeah. and excitement <laughs> after all you've played it for fuck 20 years. How many years you've been playing him since 1986. Yeah. He was always as fresh as life itself. Though. I mean, that's the thing. It's a, uh, we're, we're just an expression of life. Right. You know, um, holding up the mirror to reality, you know, and then that's, that's who he is. He's the mirror. He's, he, he's everything. You know, and it's like if you, if you do it right, pay attention. It's as big as life itself. Was it always um, in your going way back to the mid 80s and it's a six episode appearance of the yeah. character? Would you have ever have dreamed? No, no, I, I never thought he was going to be anything more than that, that little run on Cheers. And then as, as things progressed, you know, they said, we'd like you to stick around, blah, blah, blah. Then they made me a regular on the show. And then, you know, it sort of became something different. And then Paramount approached me about doing a new show when 
um, Cheers was over. And um, that was not meant to be Frazier. But uh, after kicking it around for a while, we all agreed that Frazier was probably the best way to go. And so he had a new life. Frazier's a little bit like, uh, like George Bailey, you know, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Um, just he always thinks he's going to go, you know, he's got his suitcase ready to go to Europe or travel around or, or whatever it's going to be, become a great writer or whatever it is he wants to do. And something else takes him in another direction. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Sort of like life. It's the notion of him as a uh, talk show therapist was way ahead of its time, too, by the way. Don't you think? Yeah, at the time, yeah. You know what? I mean, there was some traction at that time on radio with that kind of a personality. But uh, that he, I, I always wanted him to do no harm. You know, like the, 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 his, his focus on things was to actually try to do some good for people. And I think that was the key to him. I mean, he was always trying to do the world some good. And uh, so the show was not irresponsible. Once again, once again, it's like you could have tried to make it hysterical just by making it noisy, I guess. But it had to be connected to some, some, some attempt at virtue. You know, and then that, I think, made it funnier. Yeah. Do you um, ever debate a, a joke where you're like, or a moment or a beat where you're like, yeah, it's funny. There's no getting around it. And, and it's in it's, and it's within my character's world to do it. But I just, I just don't know. Right, yeah. so you're, you're, you are as the character, you know, as an actor, you know, this, you just, uh, there's a, you're the last line of defense for that character. Right. And your your personal understanding of what that character is capable of saying is your job. And if you have a producer who says, no, you say it the way I'm telling you to say it or else, then you have the responsibility to say, fuck it off. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're, I'm, I'm sorry. I will not do that. And uh, that's that your then that's hopefully you've got a good producer or got a good writer. They understand that you are that last line of defense for a character they're in love with. For a character that they may have even written originally, yeah, but it has nothing to do with them anymore. Once the actor has that character in his little grip, it's his. I mean, he's the expert. He's the only one that knows anymore. And uh, they can try to write things that will take them in another direction or something like that. And if it's if it's really false and it feels wrong to the actor, there's no way he's going to make it real or anything different. So they have to start listening. Comedy is harder for sure. Yeah. It's more fun. I actually think it's easier for me, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, I never, I never watch myself in a drum. I never like check the camera or the playback or anything else or, or the edits. I mean, uh, when I'm in, you know, in that position, uh, but in Frazier, I watched him and I'd make notes and I'd say, now we missed a word there. You miss a tiny word. You have blown a whole joke. You know, you miss a, the tiniest thing. And those nuances are the most valuable thing you have going for it in terms of connecting to the audience. Uh, in drama, you don't need nuance. You just need sort of a general connection. You know, it has to, you have to feel it. It has to be connected. Or even if you're playing, playing the bad guy, it's a, it's a general connection. It's not as specific as comedy is. And that's, I think, why people say it's hard. Yeah, it, it's, it's true. And I, for me, it, like there's like a lack there's a lightness, there's a lack of baggage. I feel when I just get to be funny, like it's like vanity goes away. 
I mean, it never goes away. Let's face it. I'm a fucking anchor. I'm, you know, my vanity is strong as the day is long. Vanity is required. I mean, you know, you wouldn't get up in the morning. You know. <laughs> yes, I would. Ju- we would just be in our sweatpants. That'd be awful. Feeding our faces with chocolates without right. it. I think vanity has a bad name. Um, <laughs> but I do feel a certain freedom doing doing that. Do, do you have a, a preference, or do you just like to go back and forth? In terms of uh, spending your time doing a drama, or- I think it got a new book. And you know, I did a movie with Charlie Durning a long time ago. And oh, great man! He said to me, "He said I always go do a play every year." And I, I thought to myself, "Boy, I should admire that because doing a play keeps you in touch with the dream, you know, with the what it was. You know, it's the big, it's the big ask. It's the one that pushes all the buttons, makes all the cylinders fire." And uh, so I've done one every couple of years. I I couldn't live up to Charlie's uh, dedication to it, but uh, boy. He was a great actor. And uh, oh. those experiences have been wonderful uh, on stage, of course. Um, mixed kind of experiences, but still fantastic. I saw Char- Charles Durning in what, the Tennessee Williams, one of the, gosh, he played Big Daddy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Ken Hunter. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, he was a fantastic guy. Right? I mean, just as sweet and lovable as any guy ever, and a war hero. And a, a golden gloves boxer. And I mean, and a, 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 was an Arthur Murray dance instructor. I mean, this guy was, he was remarkable on every level. Uh, I'm not sure we're making a lot of people like that. Uh, you know what, man? You, you beat me to the next question. <laughs> you. you beat me to the next question because I go, <sighs> I mean, I hope that, that young actors, and, I'm, and I know some of them are because I've worked with them and I know them. Yeah. But I hope that they have the same kind of that, that that this conversation would be as interesting to them as it is to us. Because really, when you when you peel that back, what we're talking about is the love of what we do, why we yeah. do it, how we do it, and the history of the people who did it before us. Yeah. No, you're completely right. And where where is their excellence? Where is their greatness? And then their their greatness usually comes from the fact that they're great people. That they have had great challenges. That they have. Um, lived life in a fuller way than some people and that they're able to bring it to bear into their work. Um, you will not find remarkable people like Charlie Durning just anywhere. And uh, we need those people in every part of our lives. I mean, in every part of America, we need those people. We need people who are virtuous people, people who stand for something that was actually probably expensive for them to make that life choice, probably cost them something. You need remarkable people, and that's uh, that's in uh, short supply, I'm afraid. But you know, I'd, I'd like to have people change my mind. <laughs> I could talk more to you, Kelsey, but I want to kind of end on that because I thought that's that's super, super articulate, and it's got me thinking, and it's also got me grateful that you know we have been blessed to know some of those people. Yeah, we sure have. And you know what? You've lived a pretty good life, my friend. And uh, and uh, I have too. I've had a lot of love in my life. And uh, I wouldn't have had it had it not been for this this job. That's yeah. been a remarkable thing. Same. Gratitude. I try to live in gratitude every day. That's my... It's it's everything, for sure. Yeah. Kelsey, this is great. I love the... Uh, listen, let me, let me know if uh, if, you, if you need a, 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 younger, a younger brother for Frazier... You never know, bro. Hey, listen, I'm I'm not kidding. I, lo- okay, I love. Buddy. I've thought for years about. Ah, fuck, I wish I was on Frasier. Well, maybe we can find a way to do that. That'd be really fun, dude. All right, 
Thanks, Kelsey. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Really, really, truly do. This is awesome. That was fun. Thank you very much. What an articulate, wonderful man. It's when I talk to, to people like that, I, I get re-inspired. I really do. I really get re-inspired about what acting can be and why we do it. To hear him articulate his, his views on that, I'm feeling warm and fuzzy. And I hope you are too. And now it is time to check the lowdown line. Hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line, where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Rob, this is Brian from Pittsburgh. My child and I just got into a massive argument over your age while watching Parks and Recreation. She wants to know how you managed to stay looking so young and so amazing. Thank you. Have a good day. Oh, like, thank you. You made my day. <laughs> um, well, I think a lot of it is genetics. My, my, one of my um, earliest memories of my father uh, would be going to state fairs and going to the guess your age or weight booths. I don't think they even have those anymore. Maybe they do, but we would go and crush my, they, they could, my dad always looked 20 years younger than he was. So I think I inherited some of that, but you know, listen, only because you asked, I take super good care of my skin. I have my own skincare line. Um, it's called profile. You can, you can, you can buy it if you're interested on, uh, you can look it up, buy it, sell it online, but I've been taking care of myself. You know, you, you, um, there's no free lunch. So yes, I got genetics for sure. But listen, if I was drinking all the time and out in the sun and not moisturizing and not taking care of my skin and, you know, not working at it a little bit, you know, I I wouldn't look like Chris Traeger (laughs) from Parks and Rec. Anyway, thanks for listening. There's more of this where it came from. All you got to do is uh, download it every Thursday or subscribe, which would be better. If you're listening, go ahead, subscribe. And uh, don't forget uh, Parks and Recollection, our other podcast where we do a deep dive on everything Parks and Recreation related, if you're so inclined. And I will see you next week on Literally. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced and engineered by me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Our talent bookers are Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn, and music is by Devin Tory Bryant. Make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next week on Literally with Rob Lowe. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.